Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, click the link in the show notes to join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Uncensored Empath, a place for us to discuss highly sensitive energy, illness, healing, and transformation. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a life and success coach for empaths who want to create a thriving body, business, and life. Think of this podcast as your no BS guide to navigating life, health, and entrepreneurship. You'll get straight to the point, totally holistic tips from me in real time as I navigate this healing and growth journey right beside you. This is a Soul Fire production. Today, I'm going to share my birth story with all of you. May 8th at 9.25 p.m., our daughter Emerson Jordan St. John was born. She came earthside and graced us with her presence, and I got to hold her for the first time the day before Mother's Day. The last let's see, 12 days now, she's 12 days old, have been such a cocoon of love and just soaking in all of the baby cuddles, this really sacred window of the first 40 days postpartum. And I've been checking in with my team, but other than that, really stepping back from work. This is the one thing that I felt really called to record and and to show up for outside of just motherhood right now. And that's because I want to record this while it's still really fresh on my mind, in my heart, in my body. And I want to record it for all of you, with all of you. Something that I want to be able to listen back to for myself, but also something that I hope is just an example of what this process can be like. Obviously, everyone's experience is totally different, but I know 
during pregnancy, I was so curious to hear other women's experiences, not knowing, of course, what mine was going to be like. So let's see, where do we begin? The two days prior to Emmy's birthday, we were up at our cabin. Some of you know that my husband and I own a cabin in Grand Lake, Colorado, right by the entrance of Rocky Mountain National Park, and we run it as an Airbnb. And we were affected by the fires this past October 2020, and we ended up having to renovate our entire second home. And that process has taken a long time, and I was just so freaking determined to get this place back on the rental market before this baby came. And... (laughs) talk about just in time. We had driven up there and we spent two days and I was on my feet like 12 to 15 hours both days just getting this place cleaned and ready and designed. We put furniture together. We wiped literally every item of our house down because it was dusty from the construction. And oh my gosh, it was exhausting. And I was (laughs) so pregnant. And we drove back down from altitude back to where we live in the Front Range in Lafayette, Colorado. And I had then Friday where I basically cleared my day because I was so (laughs) exhausted and just put my feet up and rested all day Friday. Went to bed that night, and Friday was 39 weeks for me, 39 weeks pregnant. And so that next, well, really it was that night, technically it was Saturday morning, but at 2 a.m. that Saturday, May 8th, I felt something in my panties, and it felt like a lot. It felt like a gush, and my husband loves telling this story now because it shot me up out of bed, and I like threw my arm over onto him, like smacked him, and I was like, babe, something's happening. And he, of course, shot out of bed like, what the fuck is going on? And I, after hitting him, telling him something's happening, shot out of bed as well and ran to the bathroom to try to like make it to the toilet because some women, their water will start to like leak and mine was a full-on gush. So I go to the bathroom, let my body do its thing, realize that, oh my God, my water just broke. So we've been working with an Ayurvedic doula this entire pregnancy. Her name is Alyssa Megath, and she is fucking phenomenal. And you're going to hear more about her. (laughs) I texted her around 2 a.m. and I said, my water just broke. It was a gush. And she's like, I know that the anticipation is going to get you like all excited, but try to go back to sleep. Like just try to go back to sleep because I had no contractions, zero contractions. And the week before at my 38 week just check in, I was about 70% effaced and 0% dilated. So here we go. 2 a.m. Water broke. I get back into bed. My husband is like, okay, because <laughs> I had been so impatient and like so overprepared. But at this point, I finally had like released control and thought, well, it's not going to happen tonight. Like I completely surrendered to the fact that I probably was going to go a full 40 weeks, that I might even go 41 or 42 weeks. And I just really <laughs> didn't have every single item ready to go the way that I had kind of over organized the probably three weeks before that because I was like at the point where I was feeling like get this baby out of me. So 
my husband stays awake for about an hour till about maybe like 3, 3.30 a.m. And he just started like getting things ready, clearing out the dishes so that we didn't have to come home to dirty dishes. Just we had no idea how quickly things were going to progress from here. So he straightened a few things up, made sure our bags were our bags were packed, but we just had to like add a couple things to them, like our toiletries. He gets back into bed. I cannot sleep <laughs> because of the anticipation, but I try to rest as much as I can. And by about 6.30, 7 a.m. I'm like, okay, I'm going to call my mom, tell her that my water broke, texted a couple of my very best friends that told them my water broke and like, hey, I think we're going to have a baby today. Still no contractions though. And so I decide that like, probably time to get out of bed and start walking around. And I called, so it's a Saturday and therefore my midwife's office was not open and I had to call the on-call midwife. Her name's Courtney. She was also incredible. Call her around 7 a.m. and the after hours line. And she's like, you know, why don't you just, let's let's have you come in for an NST test, which is a non-stress test where they just hook you up to a monitor and listen to the baby's heartbeat and also monitor your your contractions, see how frequently you're having contractions because sometimes when they're mild, you don't actually know when you're having one. Just make sure the baby wasn't under any like duress. Well, first my husband went and got us breakfast. (laughs) We're like, let's have a a big old breakfast to fill our bellies. I got gluten-free pancakes and bacon and he just brought it home from a place we go to. We ate that breakfast and then at 9 a.m. we went to the midwife's office to do the NST test and that showed everything was good and my midwife Courtney was like okay go back home everything looks good and I wasn't in labor yet but I went back home and I continued and I had continued since my water broke at 2 a.m to continue to leak fluid amniotic fluid so I went through probably eight pairs of underwear and pads and period panties between 2 a.m and like noon. So it was just continuing to leak and leak and leak. And I felt like I needed to just distract my brain a little bit to not over fixate on the fact that I hadn't started contractions. Because when we did talk to our midwife, she said that typically once your water breaks with a gush, they want you to to go into labor between 12 and 24 hours after that mark. And so because I am or was GBS group B strep a negative, then she said that I could stretch it to the full 24 hours because there's less risk for the baby. So I basically had until 2 a.m. Sunday, Saturday night slash Sunday morning to go into to labor and, and to get this baby moving. So I went home after that NST test and I turned on Eat, Pray, Love. Don't know why. Just happened to see it on Netflix. And I was like, this feels like a happy movie to just turn on sort of in the background, turned that on. And I opened my computer, literally went through and like sent some very like last emails to my podcast team, to my assistant coach team who they're going to be covering all my calls or have been covering my calls for my programs while I'm out on maternity leave. And I had also needed to go in and sign all my tax forms because my taxes had just been completed by my accountant. So I went in and finalized my taxes and spent probably an hour or two just like tying up loose ends, which I'm actually really, really glad I did. I was still plenty comfortable enough to be sitting on my computer and doing it. Contraction still hadn't started. And looking back, I just think I'm really glad that I didn't leave those things kind of open-ended and had to then 
right when we got home from having a baby worry about them. So that's how I spent my morning. And then at about 1.30 in the afternoon, I started my birthing day affirmations. So for probably two months leading up to my birthing day, I had been very dedicated and committed about listening to hypno babies recordings every night before bed. And throughout most of the pregnancy, especially second and third trimester, I had listened to a lot of meditation and a lot of uh, hypnosis in general. But more specifically, those last two months was when I went all in with the hypno babies recording. So it's a specific program that you can purchase and there's different recordings for different phases of the pregnancy. And then there's very specific recordings that you listen to on your actual birthing day. And so at 1.30, I turned on the birthing day affirmations. So it's not actually hypnosis, but just affirmations. And at the same time, I started what's called the miles circuit. And miles circuit is really, it's really simple. It's just three different movements or postures. Or they're similar to yoga postures and they're meant to help baby get into a good position and to get labor going. So the first position I did down on our living room on our couch, and it was basically child's pose, but I put a big old pillow underneath my like chest and head and my butt was up in the air instead of back on my heels. And so my belly was just kind of hanging there. And you hold that, each of them are th- it's 30 minutes long. So it's a 90 minute circuit, three different postures. I went into that first posture, held it for 30 minutes, got all cushy, comfy, and closed my eyes and listened to my birthing day affirmations. And contractions started. <laughs> so at that point, I really started to feel the contractions because I had been having some mild, mild contractions, maybe one every or two an hour since 2 a.m., but like clearly not anything that was in any pattern or created any consistency. So it wasn't until I got into this posture that it really started to amplify. So I got through those 30 minutes and was like, okay, I think think it's getting close to game time here. And I moved then upstairs to my bedroom and the second posture is basically just a side lying pose. So it's really similar to how I had been sleeping throughout this entire pregnancy with my like seven pillows at night. And you bring one, the top leg into a bent position over a stack of pillows and the bottom leg is straight and you just lay on your side. And the birthing day affirmations were about an hour long. So I finished those up as I did the 30 minutes of the second posture of the miles circuit and you lay on your left side. So you don't do both sides. You just lay on your left side. And by the time I got done with that 30 minute session, my contractions were really amplifying. So we started to text. My husband was in in charge of this at this point, texted my doula who happens to live in my neighborhood. So she's super close. And we started to hydrate. I started to like drink a bunch of electrolytes to just make sure this was the real thing. And Back at the NST test that morning, one of the suggestions both doula and midwife made was that if labor hadn't started and we we needed to kick things up, that I could eat two tablespoons of castor oil mixed in with scrambled eggs. She suggested I do that about 12 hours after my water had originally broke and then again four to six hours later. So it was about 12 hours and my husband made me some actually really delicious eggs. (laughs) I didn't taste the castor oil at all and 
I actually don't normally eat eggs, but I remember thinking like these are delicious. It was just two eggs and two tablespoons of castor oil. P.S. Side note, disclaimer, please ask your medical practitioner before taking any advice or doing anything I say on this episode. So I was able to eat probably... My plan was I was going to eat the eggs and then finish up the third posture of the mile circuit, which was you can either go outside and do like curb walking or you can go on your stairs and basically walk up and down sideways on your stairs. I ate about half the eggs and I couldn't finish them because my contractions started to get really, really intense. (laughs) And that was about 3 p.m. They were three to four minutes apart. And again, we're texting Arjula and saying, I think it's time for you to come over now. (laughs) So she got to our house probably around 3.30 p.m. And on her way or before she actually came over, she told Andrew, my husband, to get me into the bathtub and that that would be a good test to, to see where I was really at. So I got into the tub as she was on her way over. And... I am normally, I'm sure I've talked about this plenty of times on the podcast, just in general. I am very much a salt bath woman. I take multiple salt baths a week, if not like four or five or six times a week. They are my happy place. They are where I go when I have any anxiety, any stress, any digestive upset. Salt baths are just one of my go-to remedies that seem to always calm me down. So what happened next was really interesting because I got into the bath and my labor kicked up and (laughs) I could barely stay in there. I couldn't lay on my back or my bottom. I was so uncomfortable and the labor was just at that point three minutes apart between contractions. And so I flipped over onto my hands and knees in the bath and was (laughs) that was a point where Alyssa, the doula, had not quite arrived yet where I looked at my husband and I was like, I'm getting out of here and we need to go to the hospital. (laughs) And if I had not hired and worked with this amazing woman as a doula, I'm positive that we would have gone to the hospital at that point because I just felt really uncomfortable and like things were just moving really, really fast. Because basically within hour and a half, two hours, I went from no contractions to contractions every three to four minutes. Then Alyssa arrives. I was literally in our master bathroom, on our bathroom rug, on all fours, completely naked. (laughs) I think I might have a bra on actually when she walked in and I just had fluid leaking out of me onto the rug. (laughs) So I was so happy to see her when she walked in and she's like, I don't think you need to go to the hospital yet. So she helped us to slow contractions down and that meant moving into some different positions. So this this is where it gets a little bit blurry for me. I remember going down to the couch and doing some side lying similar to the position I had been in for the mile circuit. And I remember her like rubbing on the side of my bottom and just trying to like relieve pain. We were there for a while. Then we were also in my bed for a while. I have cannot remember. I think I was on all fours when I was in our bed. Again, we put like a towel down and I'm st- like just continuing to leak and leak and leak and having these contractions. But we were able to to slow them down to probably this is what my husband said because again this is all a little blurry for me. He said that they were they slowed down to probably every like 6 or 7 minutes. So that was a little bit of relief. 
Then we got into the shower. I got into the shower and it was too much to try and stand up. So again, for some reason, like hands and knees was my go-to position the entire time I labored at home, hands and knees. And so my husband brought in a towel to the bathtub part of the shower and I got on hands and knees and just let the hot water like pound on my back, my low back. And I was having back pain. So back labor and contractions throughout my abdomen as well. So that felt really good. But again, the water amped things up and the intention was to slow things down, I think. But once I got in the shower, it just kicked up once again. So at that point, we started to think, okay, it's it's probably about time to move, to get into the car, to go to the hospital. And I remember putting on like underwear because I needed to wear some clothes into the hospital and like out into public. And then they're like, what do you want to wear? I remember them asking me, what do you want to wear? And I was like, I don't know, just grab a robe. So I had just actually ordered this really long, cozy, comfy robe on Amazon for postpartum recovery. And I was like, just grab that. So I like throw undies on, had a bra on already, put my robe on. Andrew packs up the car. Actually, he had packed up the car when we went to our NST test that morning because we didn't know when we got there if we would have to potentially stay there. So it was mostly already packed. I think he had just just had to throw like one more bag in there. And <laughs> I walk out into our garage. I'm at this point like moaning. I this whole time I'm laboring loud. I was very vocal, very, very vocal during contractions and just found that that was what really comforted me and allowed me to get into my zone was moaning, groaning, grunting the whole time I was in labor. Every time a contraction came on, I was just like making really primal noises. So we walk out into the garage and the garage doors is open. I remember seeing a, a man across the street who I didn't recognize, but I went into a contraction before I could get into the car. So I'm between our cars inside of the garage and having a contraction right there. I think I leaned over like onto my husband as it was happening. And then Alyssa and Andrew guided me to get into the back seat of the car. And I just got onto all fours and the car seats had stalled because we were prepared and we got the car seat all ready to go. And so there wasn't as much space for me to be on all fours. So I had a pillow on top of the installed car seat that I was just like hugging for dear life. And then my knees were on the seat. And one thing that was also really comforting to me, I don't remember at what point I started doing this, but, and I don't know if Andrew brought it to me or Alyssa brought it to me, but just like a face cloth folded hot dog style with warm water. And I was just holding that on my whole vagina, vulva, perineal area. And I had been doing that actually for a while during contractions, partially to like not make a mess all over my house, but also because it felt really, really comforting. So I remember I had that in the car with the towel underneath me and I'm on all fours and we start moving. Alyssa is in the car in front of us guiding the way. Obviously, we've been to the <laughs> midwives at the hospital many times, but she just guided us there. And she and Andrew were on speakerphone with each other just in case I felt the need to push while we were in the car. I remember her saying, let's get on speakerphone just in case this baby comes in the car, something along those lines. And I heard that and I was like, oh, fuck. 
<laughs> so then I got into the car and in my head, I was like, this is not happening in the car. This is not happening in the car. And I just, I had a mantra actually that I was repeating in my head over and over again. And it's again, a bit of a blur, but I was talking to my baby. I was talking to her and saying, not yet, baby, just a little bit longer, baby, just a little bit. Like, can you wait a little bit longer, baby, a little bit longer, baby. And just talking to her, talking to her in my head and Somehow, you know, I had been having these contractions three, four, six minutes apart for several hours at this point. And the 10-ish minute drive to the hospital, I didn't have one contraction. And it's almost like my body just kind of like tensed up and like knew that it wasn't time. And actually, one of the books I was reading during pregnancy called Mind Over Labor, it's a short read, but there's some interesting research that they lay out inside of that book. And I'm paraphrasing and just doing this from memory, so I may not be exactly to the point of what they said in the book, but essentially there's research on mice and when mice are either like they get picked up out of their cage and they're in labor, they'll stop labor when they get picked up and held. And then there was another one where they're put into a cage or a container where there was like the smell of a cat, same thing, it halted labor. And so I think of this now and I think my body is so instinctual and is so smart and intelligent that it knew like, okay, this is not the place that you want to give birth and not like the safest place to deliver a baby. So labor halted for, (laughs) I mean, it wasn't a long time, but like 10 minutes felt like a really long time at that point because I had been working so hard. My body had been working so hard to dilate and to get the baby's, you know, head start to drop down. And she had been head down for months. So I was confident that, you know, I was had a head down baby that hopefully was going to result in a vaginal unmedicated delivery. But I loved the way that one of our birthing classes put it this way. Instead of having a birth plan, we had birth preferences. And that felt really accessible to me because I am a planner. But if I had created a plan and been too attached to it, I think I would have been really disappointed. And instead, we just had birth preferences knowing that going into whenever this baby, whatever the day was that she decided to make her arrival, that ultimately I was going to do whatever I needed to do to increase the chances of having a happy, healthy baby, regardless what that meant or if that meant that I needed to have a C-section or for some reason needed pain medication, that I was open to that. But But what I preferred and what I had been like visualizing in all my hypnosis practices was a vaginal unmedicated natural delivery. So here we are in the car (laughs) and I was talking to baby girl, talking to baby girl, talking to baby girl in the back of my head thinking I might not make it like we might not make it. But as we got closer and closer and I didn't look up once, but I could kind of sense the turns we were making And Andrew kept like asking, are you okay? Are you okay? And then he would say, we're almost there. Or like, we're on this street. We're on Dylan. And like, that was helpful. I don't think he even knows that that was helpful. (laughs) I don't think we've talked about that yet. But that was helpful to know, like, we're getting there. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. The closer we get, the less likely I am to have this baby in the car. So we think it was around 630 when we arrived at the hospital. <laughs> My husband and I are both a little blurry on that as well. I mean, time was just the experience itself wasn't a blur because I was completely present for it. But there were times when the pain waves, pressure waves were so intense that it felt a little blurry. And 
time as a construct like definitely blurred over this entire day. So we got out of the car and Alyssa parked next to us and she had all her stuff as she was like, don't grab your stuff. We're just going in. Like she told Andrew, come back down later and grab your bags. We're going like, let's get into the hospital now. And I remember walking in and I was still like leaking everywhere. (laughs) And they have their little like triage desk, especially with COVID. Total side note, this could be a whole nother conversation and discussion and episode, but having a baby during COVID is a whole other thing. We walked into their little triage station and I was not wearing a mask. I don't know if I was supposed to. I honestly have no idea, but I remember like sort of thinking like, oh, everyone's wearing masks. Should I be wearing a mask? But my brain and my body were in a completely different place. (laughs) And I believe we briefly like I think Andrew had to get his temperature taken to be a visitor. And then we had to just walk up one flight of stairs. So down the hall on one flight of stairs, I remember, I think it was Alyssa who asked, like, do you want to take the elevator? And for some reason, I was just like, I think it felt slower. (laughs) I was like, that feels slow. So immediately I was like, no, I just want to take the stairs. So we walked up that one flight of stairs and arrived at the triage center for the labor and delivery section of the birthing center within the hospital. And when we got there, I started having a contraction. And so I remember just putting my arms on their front desk table and just like leaning over and like having the contraction. And they were asking for like my ID. We had done pre-registration. So we had done all the paperwork. Thank God. But I think they just needed my ID. And so Andrew like got that out. He might have had to show something as well. I don't know. But it was pretty brief. And then they shuffled us into a room and for I think they literally just put us in like the closest room they could get us into because I was clearly getting pretty close to having a baby. And at that point, our nurse came in and my midwife came in and then Alyssa Dula was there and then Andrew husband was there. So those four individuals, three women and my husband were all in the room with me and midwife did a, I'm pretty sure it was my midwife, she came in and did a vaginal exam, cervical exam to see how far I had progressed. And I was about eight to nine centimeters dilated and 90% effaced. I remember we were in room 252 for some reason. I just, I remember that. (laughs) So clearly, I mean, I think back at it and I think about just the knowledge and the wisdom and the experience that my doula brought into this process. And just she'd seen so many women birth that I felt like I could trust her completely. And that really made a huge difference for me in this entire experience. I, and my husband calls me out on it all the time, do not have hardly any trust for our medical system after trauma within chronic illness and my autoimmune journey. And so when Andrew and I were thinking about what kind of birth preferences we were going to have and like where we were going to have this baby, I was more inclined to have a home birth and he was more inclined to have a hospital birth. And we kind of met in the middle and found this birth center within a hospital where I could work with a midwife and I could work with a doula. And I felt confident that my needs and preferences would be validated and honored and respected. And like I said before, I would have definitely gone to the hospital at 3, 3.30 instead of 6.30 if Alyssa hadn't been with us. And I also realized once they told me those numbers, like how perfectly timed 
we had gotten to the hospital. So I don't know how she does it, but I literally got there at the perfect time. The baby was not going to fall out of me in the car, but I was very close to getting ready to push. And that was ultimately my goal. My goal was to labor at home in the comfort of my home for as long as possible and then to go to the hospital basically just to push. <laughs> and that's really what we ended up being able to do. I'm really, really grateful for that. And again, I feel like that was possible because I just surrendered all my trust over and said, you know, you've done this a million times. She knows what to look out for. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> so my body was made for this, but I've never been through it before. And so it just felt honestly this like warm hug of women around me plus the love of my life next to me I can't it's really hard to put into words it's I'm feeling emotional now because I felt so held and I got up onto the hospital bed and I thought that I would probably and Andrew and I talked about this a little bit and he agreed that I'd probably push and deliver on hands and knees or more like maybe even like a squat position. But when I got there, I laid on the bed, I believe for the the vaginal exam, and I did not want to get up. At that point, I was like, I'm not getting up. I didn't want to be on my back. So I turned onto my side. But I do remember all of them suggesting like, hey, because there's a spa in the birth center and it was open. I mean, there's only one tub, but they had told me beforehand because I was like, oh, I'm probably going to want that. And they said that it's normally available. It's normally open. There's not like a high demand for it so that I'd probably be able to get into it. So it was open and they're like, okay, do you want to move to the tub? And I was just like, nope, (laughs) I do not want to get back into the water. The water and I are not friends today for the first time ever. And I'm just going to trust that. I'm going to trust my intuition. I'm going to trust the sensations I've had in the water so far today. And I do not want to go into the tub. They're like, do you want to get into the shower? Because, you know, you have your shower within your room. And I was like, "Mm -mm, me and water no, we're not going into the shower either. And I had options, you know, to move around, to get onto all fours, to sit up. And I just did not want to. I don't know how else to explain it other than my body was like, this is where we're camping out. This is where you're going to stay. So I turned over onto my right side. I preferred for some reason to like be on that side. And just instinctually, intuitively bent my top knee and kind of like pulled it up towards my chest. And I asked for the peanut. So it's like two balls kind of like stuck together. So I asked for that to be able to put in between my legs. So they grabbed that and I put that in between my legs and just laid on my side. And my husband was literally like forehead to forehead with me. Actually, I don't know why we got into this position, but he had his hand on my face. So instead of putting my head down on the pillow, my head was resting in his hand. And at one point, we we laughed about this later, but of course, everyone not everyone, but a few of my close friends and family knew I was going to have a baby that day and was in labor. And so they knew not to text me, but they were texting him and he wears an Apple watch and his Apple watch was going. (laughs) And at one point he just like literally like ripped it off his wrist and threw it on the ground. He was like, ah, stop. And it wasn't bothering me, but it was bothering him. And it was, it was, it was like buzzing my face. So if you texted my husband, if you texted Andrew during that time and you're listening to this, you might've been part of my labor. (laughs) (laughs) So he was holding my face and, you know, we would kind of lock eyes and then I would look down and then I would look at, you know, the midwife and the doula and the nurse and my 
nurse's name is Bryn and she was a fucking rock star. I feel so lucky. I feel so, so lucky to have had her by my side. So she was always on the opposite side of Andrew and she was pushing and just massaging my low back and my hip. And I just remember thinking, I fucking love you. This is amazing. (laughs) Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because there was a ton of back pain and, you know, contractions were hard. And so Andrew's there. And then my midwife's like literally just sitting at the end of the foot of, of the bed, kind of giving space. And then Alyssa is by Andrew coaching me. So she's kind of just like, and they're all checking in with each other. Everyone's communicating really, really well, but she's just like checking in with me and coaching me through some things and some suggestions. And also when we got there, I don't even know how she did this so fast, but it was like, we got there. I might've been having the vaginal exam or something. All of a sudden the lights were dim. There was like cool projector lights on the ceiling that were like, I don't even know, colorful lights just like moving around slowly in circles because she has this little projector. And then she had this like, gosh, I can't even think of the name of it, like a like a banner, like this really beautiful kind of, it reminds me of a lot of things that I saw in India when I traveled there. And she like put this like beautiful banner up and it had like pom-poms on it and it was just like beautiful colors. And like the mood was set (laughs) and I had brought stuff that was in my bags that I had not like planned to like set up, but a lot of comfort things that I thought I would use, like my essential oils and we didn't have our bags. So we didn't have any of that. And that was totally fine. But she stepped up and set the mood immediately. And then in one of our prenatal appointments, Alyssa had asked me like, you know, what kind of music do you listen to or what would would you want to listen to? And at the time I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm going to be in the mood for when it actually comes to labor and delivery. But I think what I'm going to want is to listen to mantras. And I sing mantras, do kundalini kriya to mantra, just listen to mantra all the time, play mantras during when I teach yoga. And I thought, that's maybe something that I'll want to listen to because it's very meditative. It's very therapeutic. So she turned on, I think she turned on like a birthing mantra. And then I remember her asking me like, what mantras do you want to listen to? Because I think she just did that out of memory. (laughs) And I love the album. It's called Mantras for Divine Grace. And so she turned that one on. And I remember when one specific mantra song came on that translates in English to courage, just the courage mantra. And that really inspired me. And then there was another one on that album that has some English lyrics that say, and I'm coming home, and I'm coming home, and I'm coming home. And for some reason, I locked into that one as well as the courage one. And the coming home one, I just thought, like, my baby is arriving today. She's coming home. She's coming home. She's going to be here so soon. And at this point, I'm pushing. So listening to the mantras, looking up at these beautiful lights in the ceiling and starting to just mother led pushing. No one told me to start pushing. My body just was like, okay it's time. Let's go. And Alyssa was coaching me a lot in the way that I was actually moaning. And again, like it was very, very primal, but there's a tendency because this is the most intense thing I've ever done in my entire life. And the most pain that I've ever experienced in my entire life, at least on a physical level. And the tendency is to want to panic and to go (laughs) like really high up in your, in your throat, in your chest. And like, I know that 
our parasympathetic nervous system is in the base of our lungs and I teach breath work. But in that moment, my body wanted to go into these high notes as I pushed and she coached me down into my low tones and this like very like low, like grunting push. And that was also really, really helpful because when I changed that tone in my throat and in my voice and in the push, the pushing was way more effective. I could feel it in my body that when I moaned into my belly instead of into my throat, that baby was moving so much faster through the the birthing canal. And so I, each time, was just working on that like low tone. And I remember her telling me down and out down and out, Sarah, down. And then she kept saying, bring your baby into the light, bring your baby into the light. So, you know, lights on the ceiling, like bring the baby into the light. When I was pushing, think of down and out, down and out. And so that continued uh, for, I would say the really intense pushing was about an hour, like 8.30 to she arrived at 9.25. So in the evening, did most of my pushing during that hour. And I continued to hold that warm, face cloth on my labia. So at this point, my vaginal opening was exposed and her head was starting to show and she was crowning. And my midwife, I remember, was putting a little bit of pressure on the perineal area and butt, but I was holding a towel on my labia. And I remember them asking me like, you don't have to do that. Or like, do you want us to do that? And I just remember saying like, this is really comforting to me. For some reason, I want my hand down between my legs and I just want to like press and hold myself. And that's just what felt comforting. And we ended up having to flip from side to side. So the whole time, at least once I started pushing, they had the heart rate monitor. They set it on my belly. And actually in the beginning, they had tried to put one of those like sleeves on my belly so that it would have just held there naturally or with the sleeve. And I couldn't, my contractions were too intense. They couldn't get it on me. So she just would like rest it on my belly. And there were several times where I don't know exactly what happened, but baby's heart rate was not looking ideal. So they would have me flip over to my left side. And then Andrew and Bryn, the nurse, would switch positions and he'd come over. So he was always with my face and I was always able to like look at him and talk to him. And he was talking to me throughout the entire thing too, like encouraging me and saying like, oh my gosh, babe, like one more push, like she's almost here. And just witnessing the entire process as well. And that was really beautiful to have him and like, again, holding my face and holding my hand that whole time. So we would flip from side to side until baby's heart rate started to fluctuate. And then I'd flip again. And at some point I just felt like this uncontrollable urge to poop. And it was a question I had in birthing class, like, does this happen often? (laughs) Like what happens when you poop? I know it's actually quite common and quite normal, but am I going to poop? How, how can I not poop? Cause I I don't really want to poop, (laughs) but the castor oil definitely increased the chances of my pooping during pushing. And that did happen to me. I remember pretty clearly being on my right side and again, surrounded by this like warm blanket of feminine energy, plus my husband's divine masculine energy and just being like, oh, it's happening. And I just sort of picked my head up. I didn't sit up. I just picked my head up and was like, I'm going to have diarrhea. (laughs) 
And sure enough, some loose stool came out. I never saw it. I never had to deal with it. They literally like just ripped the pad out from underneath my butt, rolled it up and replaced it right away. But I sat back and had clearly known what I had just done and felt so bad. I started crying and I was like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And Bryn, the nurse, bless her fucking heart. She was just like pooping his progress, pooping his progress. And I just like, I didn't feel judged or really, I mean, I was embarrassed for a moment, but it passed so quickly. And my attention just went right back to pushing this baby out. And it it really wasn't a big deal at all. (laughs) So we were flipping side to side at this point, that last hour or so of pretty intense pushing down and out, down and out, bringing the baby into the light, having Andrew by my side. And they had me put my hand down when she did start to crown. And I remember feeling like her head and she had, she came out with a head of hair so I could feel her hair. And it was just like super squishy and soft when I felt like this like tiny sliver of her head. And so it was really hard to tell what was exactly going on. And so at that point, she had started to crown, but I wasn't making a lot of progress. And so I think it was Bryn who who asked, hey, do you want me to go get you the mirror? And my brain was just like foggy. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what I want. I just, I don't know. And she's like, I'm going to go get you the mirror. And I was like, okay, okay. So she went and got this like rolling standing mirror and brought it in at the end of the bed so that I could see what was happening. And I'm actually really grateful for that and that she suggested that. I think everyone was on board with that being something that I probably would benefit from. And that was also something in our birth preferences that I said I probably would want because I know that my personality is such that like I'm a very visual person. So if I can see it and I realize that I'm not making as much progress as I thought I was, I'm going to work harder. And that's basically what happened. They put the mirror there and I was able to see that opening where her head was, but it was so much smaller than what I had imagined I touched. (laughs) So I realized that, okay, she's almost here. Yes. And I've got a lot of stretching and a lot of pushing still to do to get her whole head out because that looks like a sliver. So it was really helpful to see that. And then as I would then push, I would look in the mirror. Sometimes I closed my eyes. Sometimes I was like just with Andrew. Other times I was looking just dead on in that mirror and watching as her head like push and it would go, her head would go under and and past my pubic bone. And you could see like her whole head almost come out. And then my push would come to a natural end and it would kind of like suck back in. So then I would push again. And at this point I was pushing like pretty, like I was exhausted, but I was just like, every time I had the energy pushing, 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 and was really motivated to like bring baby down and out and into the light. ASAP. So I would watch my progress. And, you know, this is my first delivery. And my midwife, like, I think I was just really tight. And my midwife ended up grabbing some birthing oil and just helping doing some perineal massage to help. So I would push and she would stretch and I would watch the push would be over and then we would do it again. I would push, watch, she would stretch. And that was obviously very uncomfortable, but I was so grateful that she was doing that because it felt like a little step up, like a little cheat. Obviously wasn't cheating, but it was like, oh my God, just like a little bit of help. This like little bit of help for my body that allowed 
everything to stretch a little bit faster, but still in this like organic way that allowed baby's head to actually fit. And she had been in that one kind of spot for so long that we needed to get things moving. We needed to get things going. And that's also when we realized that she was face up. So she was head down, but face up. So that's called OP. And that's not what you ideally want. You want them to be face down so that the hardest part of their head, the back of their head, can be the part that's pushing against the most flexible part of your pelvis in the pubic bone. And then they usually like twist and turn as they come out. But during the pushing process, the back of the head is pushing on your pubic bone. So they're they're facing more towards your butt. Our little Emerson <laughs> was face up. So her whole like nose and face was just getting like smashed up against my pubic bone. And that, as far as I understand it, isn't like any sort of serious complication or anything, but it can cause more painful pushing and more painful labor and oftentimes back labor. So again, I was having back labor and was definitely feeling like all of her little features that are so adorable and so cute. And I just want to like touch them all day now, but right up in there as I was pushing. And at that point, I was getting the perineal massage, watching in the mirror, listening to the mantras. And remember Andrew telling me like, babe, one more, like she's coming on the next one. Like you've got this, you've got this like one more good push p.s he had it in his mind that like he wanted to just be with me and we talked about it later and he was imagining more like separation between my vagina and my head <laughs> like there would be more distance or something which is kind of funny but it also sort of makes sense and so he was up by my head but he could very easily see everything that was happening down below Oh, and at this point, they, they, everyone realized that she was about to arrive. I had been just in my bra the entire time and I pulled my bra off because we wanted to make my breasts available for when she did come out to then go straight into skin to skin chest connection. So bra comes off. Andrew's like watching the entire thing and totally fascinated. He tells the story now and I'm actually going to have him on the podcast and do like an interview recap on more like his point of view of this entire experience because I think it'll be really interesting. But what he said so far is that it was the most terrifying experience that he's ever had. And at the same time, like so beautiful, it's like so intense and so beautiful and so terrifying because he was just worried about me and he was worried about baby, but that there's no way he like could look away. Like he watched, he watched everything. So anyways, last push there she comes and i could i could tell like okay this is it this is it and she basically just shot out like her head it wasn't where her head came out and then i had to continue to push her shoulders out with that last push her head her whole body her shoulders her little booty all came out at once and courtney the midwife caught her and just put her straight straight up onto my chest it happened so fast and put her belly onto my breast and then i remember the nurses just like putting blankets on top of her immediately and kind of just like wiping her off a tiny bit we asked not to do a bath while we were at the hospital we didn't want her bathe we wanted to wait until she got home and then the research i'd done shows the benefits of leaving some of that beautiful white gooey stuff on their body leaving that on and actually just rubbing that into their skin and so we just had her on my chest 
they did a little bit of suction in her mouth, but she started crying right away. And I just got to hold her and feel her. And I just like, I thought that I was going to have this really like teary, almost like sobbing reaction when that happened. But honestly, this was the most intense thing I had ever done in my life. And my body felt more in shock. And so it was beautiful in its own right. But there was also a lot of shock where my whole body started just like trembling and shaking and kind of like involuntarily like convulsing. So at that point, I was on my butt, like on my back, knees bent and had her on my chest and was holding her. But like my legs were just shaking, 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 shaking. And I remember looking down at her and just being like, my baby. We didn't have a name for her yet either. So I didn't know what to call her. So I was just like, my baby, my baby, my baby girl, my baby girl. Like, oh my God, it was just so incredible. So, so incredible. And Andrew got emotional and was just like right there with us. And we kept her on my chest because of the benefits of that mother to baby skin contact for about the first hour. So he, poor guy, had to wait a while to actually hold her, but was just like staring at, like you couldn't take your eyes away, like just staring at her with me for that first hour. And she came out very cone-headed and we both were like a little, I think, shocked at first and like how cone-headed she was. But Within an hour or two, that had really gone down like almost all the way. It was fascinating and incredible and just so crazy. So had her on my chest and that's when placenta has to come out. So we still had her umbilical cord attached until it stopped pulsing. We decided to do delayed cord clamping. And I would say probably like five minutes, maybe. Again, time's a little bit of a blur, but I think after about five minutes, I remember the midwife saying that my cord had stopped pulsing and did Andrew want to cut it? And he wasn't planning on cutting it, but they just kind of like were like, you know, here it is. Do you want to cut it? And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he did. And I think it, I think it's special that he did. And, and ultimately it would have been fine if he didn't, but he did. He cut the cord after it stopped pulsing. But my placenta still hadn't come out. So they ended up having to do some fundal massage. And we were going to wait to breastfeed until the placenta came out just to like not overwhelm my body too much. But we ended up, I don't know if needing is the right word, but deciding that it would be best to start breastfeeding pretty quickly after the cord was cut because my placenta had not come out. And that nipple stimulation of breastfeeding can encourage contractions and can encourage the placenta to come out. So I started breastfeeding, which little girl just latched right away. It's just so wild to me that my body knew exactly how to nourish this baby and she knew exactly what to do to get there. And we actually watched. So she was on my chest and they're like, yeah, babies have, the, they, they basically start to crawl. They like will kind of bend their knees to crawl up to your boob instinctually. So she started doing that. She was like getting her knees all up in my belly, <laughs> trying to find the nipple. And that was also a really good indication and sign that like it was time to start breastfeeding pretty much right away. And she latched right away as well. So she's latched, breastfeeding, placenta still not out, but the cord is cut. And I don't remember this, but Andrew remembers Bryn, the fucking amazing nurse. <laughs> she 
said, you know, it's been 25 minutes, just so you know, we're at 25 minutes. And typically they want that out by 30 minutes. So things were coming down to the wire as far as like needing to get the placenta out. And I was also having a fair amount of bleeding. So they were like a little bit concerned about that, but I don't remember ever feeling like there was any sort of panic. It was just like, everyone was really calm, but it just felt like, okay, we need to do something. And at that point, my midwife was like, I really think that you would benefit from just not an IV injection or hookup to Pitocin, but just like a thigh injection of Pitocin in order to get the contractions back going in order to get this placenta out like in the next five minutes. So I remember like turning to Alyssa again, trust, trust was a big thing for me and being like, do I have to? (laughs) Cause I really just didn't want anything in my body. I was like, is this really what I need to do? Is that what I should do? And she's like, Courtney's a midwife, trust her. Yes. Yes. You need to do this. (laughs) Obviously it was still my choice. She didn't say I had to do it. So I was like, okay, okay, like just do the Pitocin. And they gave me the option of in the IV, which they had hooked up just in case there was any emergencies, but it was just the port. Nothing ended up getting hooked up to my IV ever. I didn't even do like a saline bag or anything like that. So they did the Pitocin in the thigh. And at that point, Courtney, my midwife, instructed me to start pushing again. So I probably had, gosh, maybe two or three big pushes to get the placenta out. And once it came out, Andrew, first of all, was like, holy shit, (laughs) like, what is that? And again, my little warm blanket of women were all kind of like, that is a big ass placenta. So apparently, and I had nothing to compare it to, but apparently I had a very large placenta. I can't remember if they weighed it or not, but I think they were like guessing on kind of how much it weighed. And at this point, Andrew also went over and she was like, do you want to see it? And he actually like put gloves on and like held it up. And like, you could see the little tear within where like the amniotic sac had been torn and my water had broke. So it was was really cool, but it was not comfortable to push again. (laughs) However, that pushing was not anything like little baby girl's head. So placenta came out just in time and my doula Alyssa ended up taking my placenta home with her to then deliver to my placenta lady to get encapsulated with some herbs to help with some postpartum healing. The thing that really sold me on investing in getting it encapsulated is how it can at least anecdotally benefit postpartum or prevent postpartum anxiety and depression. And that's something anxiety for me I've been concerned about. And actually I haven't really felt it, but wanted to have the option for the placenta to take in, you know, capsules should I need it. So she took the placenta or ended up taking it at that point, she's still there. But my midwife then stitched me up. I had two tears. So perineal and one in my inner labia and both required just a couple little stitches. They were both first degree tears, so not major. I was pretty damn happy about that. (laughs) I think a lot of the oiling up helped, but I also had done a ton of preparation for cervical ripening and getting my body ready. Like that would be a whole nother conversation and episode. And this one's already been long, but I did a lot of things to prepare my body for this moment. So I think that that really had a lot to do with how little I teared and also that I was able to labor at home until eight to nine centimeters dilated. So at this point, I have my baby on my chest and I'm still like trembling and sort of in shock, but just like so overcome with emotion, like so overcome with emotion that it's just so surreal. Like this 
child is now on my chest that I grew inside of my body for the last 39 weeks and one day. That's when she came. 39 weeks and one day to her due date. And at maybe like an hour or so after she had breastfed a little bit and we had done some good skin to skin, the delivery nurse came in and that's when they did all of her stats. So they kept her in the room. I think the whole time we were there, they took her out of the room once, but otherwise she was on me or with us the entire time. And they so they weighed her and she was six pounds, 15 ounces, which I was super surprised. I thought I was about to have an eight pound baby. <laughs> That's just how I felt. But it turns out I had a, a lot of fluid and a really large placenta. So that might have been kind of what I was feeling. So she was six pounds, 15 ounces, just under seven pounds, 20 and a quarter inches. We, and this is like super personal preferences. I respect everyone's decisions, but we got the vitamin K shot, but we opted out of the erythromycin eye ointment and also out of the hepatitis B shot. They did her footprints and then Andrew finally got his daddy skin to skin time. And that was actually a really, really special moment for me. So again, my body was just like, what did we just do? And then I just got to watch him and like, just a witness. The charge nurse, he was taking pictures as she was doing the stats. And then he stripped his shirt off and went into the chair in the room. And she brought baby over to him for his skin to skin and just put baby girl onto his chest for the first time. And oh, he was just overcome with emotion. I was overcome with emotion watching him get to hold her for the first time and just bond with her and be with her for his first moments of fatherhood the way that I got my skin to skin for those first moments of motherhood. So he probably had skin to skin for another hour. And I think we finally got to rest and baby went to sleep around maybe like 2 a.m. that night. So again, delivery was at 925, placenta, stats, all the things just... And everyone actually left the room. So everyone, Alyssa and midwife probably left within an hour of her delivery. The nurse was coming in and out just to check on us, Bryn. But other than that, like they were really cognizant of giving us family time. So we just got the room to ourselves, and we just got to bond the three of us. And it was quiet and so special. And we were exhausted. (laughs) So again, I think around 2 a.m. we finally got some rest. So that was exactly 24 hours after I had been originally woken up by the gush of my water breaking. Hello, podcast fam. Just popping in for a second because in this postpartum period, now that my daughter Emerson is officially one month old today, it has flown by and yet been such a blur and breastfeeding is hard work. (laughs) I have a whole newfound respect for how much you need to supplement and hydrate and give your body the nutrients that it needs in order to be breastfeeding. So one thing that has been supporting me so much is having my container of electrolytes next to me 
pretty much all day long. I, as you guys have heard me talk about before, I'm a huge fan of Element electrolytes. They are salty and delicious, and there are some amazing flavors. My current favorite is their new flavor, watermelon, but I also love the raspberry, the citrus, the orange. They're all really good. And electrolytes are charged minerals that conduct electricity to power our nervous system, and mine has felt a little bit fried lately because we are not sleeping through the night. We are getting max about three hours of sleep at any given time. So regulating my hydration as well as my husband's and balancing fluids inside and outside of my cells has been so supportive, literally feels life-saving. And as a Uncensored Empath podcast listener, you get to try these amazing electrolytes for free. You just pay $5 in shipping. You get a free sample pack. Simply go to drinklmnt.com backslash empath to try it out. Again, that's drinklmnt.com com backslash empath and i'd love for you to let me know what your favorite flavor is and tag me over on instagram we were also pretty adamant on as little hospital birth center time as possible so when they came the next night so this was saturday evening and then sunday was mother's day and we got to spend it with her in our our room and we just I don't even know what we did. We just kept this baby alive. We just fed and stared at this baby all day and tried to eat and tried to drink enough to like stay hydrated and everything my body had just been through. Obviously, it was still healing and I was really sore and I actually had my first, this is probably TMI for some people, but I had my first bowel movement at the hospital that next day and it was not as bad as I thought it was going to (laughs) be. I was definitely a little nervous and a little freaked out, but it was fine. It wasn't comfortable, but it was fine. And so that night they did her 24-hour check. So team came in and she was down 4%. So I didn't, I don't think I realized this, but babies often drop weight when they're first born. And then it takes them a little bit of time to get back up to their birth weight. So she was down just 4% of body weight, down to like six pounds. 10 point something ounces. And that was really good. It wasn't, wasn't too much weight loss. And she passed her hearing test and everything with flying colors. So we were like, can we leave? <laughs> so obviously we weren't going to leave at like 10 o'clock at night, but I asked if then in the morning we, want, we wanted to get some rest. And then I asked if in the morning we could leave as soon as possible. So they made that happen and we had to see the pediatrician. The midwife had to come back in. They had to get like a lot of paperwork ready for us, but otherwise we were ready to go. And so by noon the next day, we were out of there, discharged, peace, thank you, but see you later. I want to go home. <laughs> it was under 48 hours, under 48 hours that we had in our room, in our birthing center. And we had our first car ride home. And that was another thing that I heard a lot of moms say, like, was so scary. And they were so freaked out about that first car ride home. And I sat in the back seat with her just because we didn't have the mirror installed yet. And I just wanted, wanted to be close to her. And Andrew drove us. But I didn't feel like this overprotective sense or anything. It was just like a 10 minute drive home. Super simple, not stressful. (laughs) Obviously we were driving really like careful, but I didn't think it was super stressful or scary the way that I had heard a lot of people talk about. Then the next day we went to go see our pediatrician. So at the hospital, we just saw the on-call ped, but then the pediatrician that we're choosing to work with, we went to go see the next day, which was recommended because when they come out cone-headed like that, I guess that actually increases, there was a little bit of bruising on her head and that increases the chance of jaundice. So they wanted to make sure we got seen 
because we left the hospital so early, they're like, well, if you're going to leave this early, probably should go see your pediatrician. So I was like, okay, cool. We can do that. (laughs) So Tuesday, this is about 48 hours after, maybe a little bit more than 48 hours after her birth. They weighed her at that appointment and she was already up back up to six pounds, 13 ounces. So just two ounces under her birth weight. And the pediatrician was like, how did you do that? (laughs) I was like, I don't know. She eats a lot. She sleeps a lot. And she loves she loves the breast milk. My breast milk also came in really quickly. I would say, well, I guess I don't have anything to compare it to, but my colostrum came in at least a month before she came. And I was having some leaking of colostrum before she even arrived. And so my milk came in, I would say probably day three post delivery. So I think that's probably why she got back up so quickly. And then we've actually had one more appointment now. So we went back like two days ago and she was had already gained 11 more ounces and was over seven pounds now to seven pounds, eight ounces. And once they get over seven pounds or past their birth weight, that's when you can start to do some less scheduled feedings. And so we're starting to wean away from the every two to three hours. So you get eight to 12 feedings in a day and moving towards baby led feeding, which feels much more intuitively aligned for me. And that allows us to have some like four, maybe even like a five hour stretch in between feedings. And so mama and daddy can get a little bit of sleep. So as of, yeah, like two days ago, we've been getting a little bit more rest. And this past week, my mom's been here. She's been, she's gone now, but so supportive and just like not baby stuff because really it's like me for the baby stuff. And Andrew has been so incredible. He is (laughs) changing like all the diapers and waking up with me like every single time and just like really, really being there for me and for baby. He's so incredible to watch him as a father. My mom has been doing like the dishes and the laundry and cooking for us. And it's been really helpful. And I didn't know if I would want that, but I'm really glad that we were able to have that support. And then we've just been doing like all the first, her first bath when we got home, her first explosive diaper, her first walk. We went for just like a really short walk the first time. We've been on two walks now. The second time we took both the dogs and we went a little bit longer and that was a little bit more chaotic, but good. Her first time like getting lotioned up and oiled up and doing baby massage and wearing certain outfits that I was excited to put her into and just her first time getting her nails filed. All of these firsts have been so incredible to just be so present for. And that's another interesting thing is I wasn't sure kind of how I would be spending this time or like what we would be doing more literally (laughs) other than breastfeeding and trying to sleep. And first of all, breastfeeding is hard work. hard work. So that's what I'm spending most of my time on is breastfeeding like eight hours a day, but, and then trying to sleep when I can. And then a lot of it is just like, I am so fucking in love with this child that I just stare at her (laughs) and I don't do anything. I just, I'm just stare at her and like touch her little soft skin and smell her little baby body. And that has been really special as well. Like there's not been this pressure to do anything or get back into anything. Like I mentioned in the beginning, this is one of the only things I'm feeling called to do right now is record this because I want to capture this moment in time and I want to be able to come back to this for myself and I want to be able to openly share this with others who are curious about my experience, but also uh, maybe going through this experience themselves, even though we all have different journeys. I asked you guys on Instagram the other day, which I've 
been checking in on every once in a while, mostly just to make sure my team is doing okay. And then also to provide like some little updates. But someone asked, was the hospital accommodating to all of my preferences and everything, you know, I desired? And my answer is yes. My answer is absolutely yes, yes, yes. They were very accommodating. I didn't feel like judged or like I was doing the wrong thing, even though some of the decisions I made were probably not what they normally saw. Actually, we saw a lactation consultant in the hospital before we left, and she was very complimentary of my husband and I, and that felt really, really good. And part of what she said was that we just seemed really confident and that we were we were ready to go home. A lot of couples are not ready to go home after 24 hours, but she's like, you guys are go home. (laughs) And so that was really good. Like, again, one other thing she said is that she doesn't see the way that we chose to birth very often. And it was kind of refreshing for her. I say that not to say that that's how you should do it or anyone should do anything a certain way, but that was what I desired. And in her feedback, she reflected back to us that a lot of why baby was thriving was because we were able to do it that way. If I had had to do it a different way, I would have done it a different way. You just never know like how your baby wants to arrive earthside. And again, birth preferences over birth plan and surrendering to however baby wanted to make her appearance. Oh, and I would say the next day, so 9.25 p.m. she arrived, probably the next day by like two-ish we had a name. <laughs> so it took us a while, over 12 hours, but we picked a name by the next afternoon. And so we were able to fill out like her social security paperwork and her birth certificate. And we arrived on Emerson with a Y E M E R S Y N, Jordan. And Emerson's just a name that we liked that was kind of in our top five. And then Jordan is after my brother, Jordan. And then she has her daddy's last name. St. John, S-T-J-O-H-N, Emerson, Jordan, St. John. And honestly, we just both, after looking at her and actually seeing her face for those 12 or so hours, we both were just like, she's an Emerson. That's who she is. And we're still playing with kind of calling her Emerson, calling her Emmy. We also like MJ, like E-M and then J for her middle initial MJ. So I call her Emmy J sometimes. (laughs) She's got all sorts of nicknames already and she's 12 days old. (laughs) And then the other question I got on Instagram was just what I was most surprised by. And I actually haven't mentioned this yet, but my plan (laughs) that was, again, more of a preference, but I thought that I was going to want to be headphones on plugged in to my hypno baby's recordings the entire time I was laboring and then during pushing as well and that just ended up not being the case so I loved listening to the birthing day affirmations during that mile circuit when my contractions first started but then I had no desire to listen to those hypnosis recordings during contractions or labor and instead like it almost felt like And I'm sure some people would totally disagree and have had totally different experiences, but it felt like too distracting to me. Like I just wanted to be one with my body and this baby's body that was moving through me. And I just channeled more like of a primal energy that just was like zoned everybody and everything out, except for those like little bits that I remember, right? Like 
moments with my husband, things he said, hearing that courage mantra, hearing the coming home lyrics and one of the other mantras, those things I, I kind of latched onto. But mostly I was like in my little warm bubble. And so I'm surprised that I didn't listen and it felt perfect the way that I chose to do it for me. And I know that there was still massive benefit to have listened to for those two plus months every night before bed, those like prep hypnosis recordings, because I use some of the cues that were in them. Like there's uh, an orange hypnoanesthesia that you can cue. And so I was visualizing the color orange around my cervix and my vaginal opening as I was pushing. And that was part of the tools and techniques that was taught in the recordings, even though I wasn't listening to them in that moment. And then the the bubble of light was also part of it. And I felt very much in my bubble the entire time as well. So I used skills, tools, techniques from the recordings, but I just didn't listen to them. I wanted to be more just primal in my body. <laughs> and again, we had the mantra music in the background, but mostly I was just like really focused on the work, on the pushing, on the labor, on the pressure waves, on meeting my daughter for the first time. All right, y'all, that is my birth story. We are 12 days in, so obsessed with this child. I love her so much, so, so much. I just look at her and I just tear up and I'm just so in love. My husband does the same thing. We just stare at her together and like give her kisses and wonder what we were even doing in our life before she got here. <laughs> so obviously this is a big shift and a big change and a whole new journey I'm about to or am embarking on called motherhood. And I'm excited to see what other inspiration and changes that brings into my life as a whole. So our days now are slow yet busy with baby and I'm planning to take another three to four weeks off to just be BB with Emerson and with Andrew and we have some other family coming in to visit and to meet her for the first time and something I told Andrew in planning some of the postpartum stuff was just that my family has seen so much darkness in the last six years and almost seven. So it'll actually be seven years next month since my brother Jordan died, who Emerson's now partially named after. And there's just been this darkness and this sadness and stress and drama and overwhelm and massive grief of unsurmountable losses of Jordan and Joe. And I felt it just felt so good to bring light into the world. And now to be able to share that light with my family who has also experienced so much dark and not to depend on her or put pressure on her to be this light for us, but just something to be fucking happy, like just pure joy and happiness over this beautiful, divine child who chose Andrew and I as her parents. And I feel so blessed and I feel so grateful that she chose us, that she came down as our spirit baby and our rainbow baby after a loss and miscarriage last year. And she feels like just such this light in our lives. And I'm just so, so grateful. And I cannot wait to see the person that she becomes and the things that she 
wants to do, wants to create, wants to experience. And one of my goals as a mother is just to let her be herself and to experience the freedom to be herself in this life. Ah, oh. okay. <laughs> She's taking a nap right now and it's about time to go wake her up for another feed. But thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you've gained something from this and regardless of what stage of life you're in, if you want kids or don't, if you're currently a mother or not, or maybe you were a mother in a different way. I hope that there was a part of today's conversation and my sharing with you that resonated or that you'll take with you. Okay. I love you all so much. Thank you for listening to this really intimate experience of my birth story. And I would love to hear from you all if you have your birth story or maybe you have like a blog or a recording or you've posted about it. I would love to read yours as well. I just think that we all have different experiences and it's so helpful to and, and interesting, captivating to be able to hear people's vast array of experiences. Okay, I will see you guys next time. 